bringing a little bit of, I guess, levity to the darkness. Is a really good way to describe You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Josh Munkin, children's lit author, father, science communicator, and podcaster, joined by Brenna Jennerette, children's lit author, mother, avid climber, and outdoors person, and podcaster. This is the podcast you make interview diverse, where we talk to kid lit creators, share their stories, and learn from their journeys. Today's highly anticipated chat features none other than author, actor, and voiceoverer Justin Cologne, creator of the esteemed PV chat on Twitter and overall kid lit powerhouse. Chances are very good that you are already familiar with Justin, his passion, and his work to foster community among other creatives. Equal parts craft, community, and consideration, this conversation is very much a worthy follow-on to last episode's chat with, not at all coincidentally, Justin's agent Jennifer March Soloway of Andrea Brown. We get right into the real stuff this time, starting with some context around the two recent announcements of Justin's fall 2024 debuts, that's debuts plural, Impossible Possums with Disney Hyperion and The Quacken with Simon & Schuster. This is really a conversation I should just get out of the way of. It's a really good one. Here is Justin Cologne's verse. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be comfortable during the chat because I'm actually not in my voiceover booth. I have the voiceover booth, but it gets kind of stuffy in there. So, okay. We're the opposite of stuffy. Okay. Yeah, right. Well, please, please be comfortable. <laughs> yeah. That worked for today. So thank you for uh, working with me here. You saw that I started the recording. This is, this is, this is the easy like lead in part where we're just goofing around. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, this that is I most of the podcast, the... actually. Yeah, like, right. this is just how it goes. We just, <laughs> we just like to have a good time. So, yeah, don't worry about, don't worry awesome. about anything else. Yeah, um, we're so happy to have you, Justin. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I was really um, grateful that that you asked me to be a part of this. We've been working on this conversation for a while. It's like anything else in Kidlet. It's got a long, mm. a long lead time. <laughs> I know. Josh right. reached out and then. I wanted to wait because I, I I don't think I had announced even one of my deals yet, and now I got to announce both of them. And then I wanted we wanted to coordinate it with my my agent. So yeah, it's been a, a while. So thank you for being patient with me while I waited for my news to be shared. Yeah, and it's no, a double totally. whammy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so I was just saying to Josh yesterday, and I read I read the announcement that you posted on Twitter, and for some reason I could not. Um, comment on it. I tried a couple times. My computer, like my keyboard, froze up, and I was like, "Okay, well, whatever. I'll just ask him on the show." But <laughs> I wanted to say I so appreciated the fact that you shared um, how long your book had been on sub before you actually had the deal announced, because you know, I mean, and you've had qu- the Quacken and then your Possums deal sort of announced, like sort of consecutively, right? Like kind of back to back. And it makes it seem like, oh, it's so easy. Like Justin just had like, you know, two back to back deals and like one of them is for multiple books. But yeah, yeah, right. Like easy out of the gate. But um, yeah, I really appreciated that you mentioned, you know, it's it's not not at all. Yeah. And and, and it's funny that it just worked out that way with the timing. You know, Um, everyone always told me I tried to plan out my my books so that they would be spaced apart. And everyone said, stop putting so much like energy into it because you can't control it. You might sell a book and the book that you sell months after debuts first. And that's actually what happened with is what's happening with me. Um, The Quacken, I think I sold 13 months before I got to announce it. 
and oh, with gosh. And I'm within, sorry, 13 months. Yeah, That's 13 crazy. months. And then oh, there's people that are over two years now. Um, I know some people behind the scenes that I vent to them, but they're over two years, and and they still can't share anything, which I imagine is very tough for their debut. And totally. uh, possible possums sold, I think, like eight months after, but within four months, I want to say we went through the quickest R and R in the world. It was took me a few hours and we, we went the next, so we went on submission. A few hours. <laughs> it was a very simple, it was a really simple R and R, like a, like a, a title change and to just omit a few words from it to make it a little, uh, a little more, uh, to make the concept appeal a little more to kids. It was a little trickier. Um, but yeah, I think we went on sub, we did the R and R, we got the offer, we attached the illustrator, um, all within four months. And last night I just signed the contract. So it was just, it's, it's amazing how publishing works, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, that was, that sounds really fast. Yeah. But like publish, I mean, that's an oxymoron in publishing, right? Like a fast, fast publishing deal. Like that just doesn't, that's not, yeah. that's not really a still, thing. <laughs> still be frank at Disney Hyperion. She is like rapid fire fast and amazing to work with. Disney doesn't mess yep. around. Yeah, what well, no. Disney doesn't mess around. No, I guess not at all. Take I, I don't I missed I missed some of the commentary around the timelines on Twitter. I think so. Walk like walk us through the timelines. I guess. Sure. Okay. So let's see where to start. These a long, long time ago. <laughs> Once upon a time. Um. So these both started as uh, Twitter pitch uh, pitches. In Twitter contests through DV Pit, I'll take you back to the, the origin story here. So I pitched, <laughs> I pitched Impossible Possums through DV Pit. Uh, I want to say, oh my gosh, maybe 2019. And the agent who requested it, who is now my current agent, Jennifer March Soloway, Andrew Brown Literary Agency. She requested the manuscript and I realized I wasn't ready to submit it to her. So I took eight months before I submitted the request to her. And what I did was I went, I, I, I fixed my entire concept and overhauled it because I realized that through all my critiques, I had too many, um, too many cooks in the kitchen and that my original critique was the strongest. And Tara Lazar, who had mentored me for a little bit, had agreed my original idea was the best. So I took eight months. And then the next DV pit was rolling around. And I was like, oh, man, I want to participate again. But it's going to look bad if I didn't submit the original request to my agent. So I submitted it like a week before. She wound up requesting uh, more materials. And I participated in DV pit with a new manuscript, The Quackin'. And Jennifer March Soloway requested that one again. And at the same time, to, to really um, throw a curveball here, I also had an offer on a nonfiction bio through DV Pit um, for a two-book deal. And I didn't want to debut with a bio because I don't primarily write bios. It was a, it was a one-off at the time for me, which is not the case anymore. And Jennifer and I took a call. I told her about the offer. Uh, we spoke through that and then what we realized was that I had submitted it to as an exclusive to her. And she was like, how could you submit this as an exclusive? Like you have to try out other agents. So I want you to go query everyone. 
um, and then get back to me when you have an offer. So that was all happening. And then she's like, by the way, that quacking story, it's great. And I was like, okay, well, here's the truth. I kind of cheated DV pit a little and it's not fully finished. And she's like, okay, we'll go work on that. So I took my entire Christmas break, worked on that manuscript. I wound up declining the two book deal through, uh, for the bio. I got an offer. I went back to Jennifer March Soloway. We signed in March and then we went on submission that same month. We had two executive editors from Big Five request it, one within a week of submission, one within uh, a month. And I wound up doing four R&Rs on that manuscript um, and they both ultimately passed. And I didn't trust my instincts and I, I overworked the manuscript. Mm. And it's funny because they had opposite feedback. So we, I did the R&Rs. I wound up going back to something that was closer to my original. We did a mini sub round in August because August is the month that publishing supposedly shuts down, which isn't really the case. It slows down, but it keeps going. And we sold I it. I hear right that away. about every month in publishing. I'm just going to say every month in publishing shuts down. They're like, it's fine. It's fine. You break it yeah. down. It feels like there's only three good months, you know? Um, right. And then everyone's too busy to sign anything. So it's like, it's cool. Don't worry. They'll get you next time. It's like, okay, sounds good. I'll be exactly. here. November, everyone's already slowing down. Some people are shutting down and they'll yes. be back open in January and some February. So we sold that in... We sold that September of 2021, and that was supposed to be my debut. We had the two-book deal. I went on submission in May with something I told my agent, like, this is not going to sell. It's my experimental piece. People wound up falling in love with it, um, and we had a lot of interest in that one, and then we wound up going with Disney for it, uh, and that's been a that's been a very fast process. Um what slowed the debut down, I think, was uh, the illustrator. I had a very specific vision in mind. I was a little bit more hands-on with it, so we wanted to take our time to find the right illustrator. <laughs> oh, sorry, one sec. That's okay. So one, of, one of the many dog appearances on the podcast. I knew that yeah. was going to happen. Give me one sec. I'm actually yeah. letting that. Sure. <laughs> okay, you go. We should have I a special noted, like, I... episode. Yeah, right. Just all the dog, the dog moments, yeah. just all the yeah. barking. I want to know yeah. that you look very dapper for this audio format. Oh, thank yeah, you. right. The people video. can't see you, but <laughs> like nice blazer. Thank you. Yeah, color coordinated. <laughs> um. Okay. 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 So I have. I Josh. I know you probably have questions. I have so many questions though. So my first one. Can I just? Can we circle back really quick to the nonfiction? Sure two book deal that so I okay so first of all it was a biography but you got a two book deal so I don't know if I've ever heard of that and then follow-up question you turned it down the audacity (laughs) no I'm just I'm just I yeah I just I have questions like (laughs) oh man I had so many questions uh during the process myself so I queried um so I that was another dv pit manuscript and it received a lot of request and it was about the father of beekeeping and it was a smaller press and it was a pretty fast process and it was a nice offer from a smaller press ultimately i spoke to my agent and i already had some doubts and what we decided was that it seemed my heart wasn't fully in it 
I I part I, I usually write uh, very outlandish, over the top, high concept humor. That's what my Disney deal is. That's what Simon and Schuster is, and I didn't quite want to debut with nonfiction because I had spoken to agents and everyone said your first book should kind of set up start setting up that that readership for you. And if you debut with a bio and then you come out with this really outlandish high concept book. They don't quite pair together as well, and it leaves people a little confused. So I decided to to turn down the offer, which was very difficult, um, because I could have debuted in 2022. And my agent and I talked, and we were like, you know what? Let's play the long game and make the the wise career move, and you'll debut at a later date, debut the way you want, and then you can do these as your passion projects in between. Which, um, unfortunately, the way it worked is that. Now where the industry is a bit tired, there's some bio fatigue and it's very hard to sell a bio, especially because this one's about um, a white guy who had some privilege in life. Uh, so that's so that's been difficult. That's a, t- a tough conversation, but um, I, I think uh, speaks to Jennifer's consideration as a career agent that she's going to she's going to play the longer game and say, like, look, I could. Um, if I were a different type of agent, I could loop in this deal that Justin's already made and, you know, have a, have a pretty quick, quick first sale with this client. Uh, but she's investing more in you than just that. And and taking a look at you as, you know, as a whole. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole podcast, uh, session on just Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer is amazing. (laughs) We we have, Uh, yeah, I'm sure as you can tell, she's she's very much a cheerleader for her clients. And some people, it's funny because um, she's not your typical gatekeeper of an agent. I want to say she doesn't tell her clients, this is not going on submission. Um, I'm not passionate about this project. She really discusses your projects with you and listens to why you're passionate about them. And she says, if you're really invested in this, um, even if it's going to be a tough sell, I will go on submission with it and I will champion the project for you. And that's what she does. I mean, we have a really tough sell right now on submission, which is uh, a bio about Eric Carl. And we went to acquisitions with the bio and we had uh, one, it went to acquisitions. The other was very interested. Trademark issues came up. We addressed them. Copyright, we addressed them. And then ultimately what it came down to was uh, when right before Eric Carl passed away, he sold a portion of his estates to Penguin Random House and they opened up an imprint in his name called World of Carl. So now publishers are a bit spooked. Everyone's like, that's a Penguin Random House brand. Uh, so, and, and it was, it was difficult hearing that. And Jennifer was like, we can do a second round of submission. We, if you're passionate, we don't have to shell this. Like here's the obstacles we're going to face. And then she presents, um, potential, um, solutions. That's <laughs> sorry. That, that's awesome. And I wanted to say, I saw the pitch for that Errol Car or Eric Carl, uh, bio in one of the last, uh, pitch contests. And that, I mean, it sounds like a book that everybody would love. So I'm sorry that you're having so much trouble, like getting through all of that stuff. Um, but I'm so glad that, um, JMS is happy to go on sub with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a learning experience. Um, it's, it's, it's been frustrating, but it's also a great learning experience. And, uh, 
I mean, in the process, we've sold other stuff, so it all it all works out. And I truly believe that like all the projects line up the way they should. Sometimes something doesn't sell, and then you realize that um, it wasn't meant to sell at that time. I like to, and it's funny because I always say this when I do the PB chat announcements, I like to think of rejections as redirections. Uh, it's, it's oh, that's a new way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Like every, I mean, it's, it's what keeps me sane as an actor. Cause that's my other life. And I, I really like, I try to think of it as I'm, I'm not being rejected and it's not personal. It's just the story itself. And there's different reasons why an editor might have to, to pass. They could love the writing, but they know the, the difficulties with the politics or with the market itself. Maybe they already have a list that has something similar. Um, I like to think that I'm being redirected in my publishing path to maybe a different editor, to a different project. Um, yeah. It's not, no, it's just not, not yet or not here or not this way. Exactly. And that's yeah, something, something Jennifer's huge on. She's always big on no means not yet in, in a publishing context. Yeah. I love that. I just watched. I um. I've been catching up on the PB Summit uh, replays because I wasn't able to see them in person, and I just watched um, Kate De De, De Camillo. I, I'm saying her last word incorrect, or sorry, her last name incorrectly. But um, her her talk was incredible. It was so inspirational. So she talked a lot about the um contradictions as for being a writer, right? Like you oftentimes are working. Um, solo and by yourself, but then you have to pr- take it to this bigger audience and then you're bringing in all these other people. So there's all these contradictions. And the main one that she talked about that I thought was so just like eye-opening was in order to write and put what you want on the page, you have to like reveal yourself, be really vulnerable, right? Like take all the armor off. And then once you go out on sub, once you're like getting feedback and talking to people about this and working on it, you have to put that armor back on so that you don't take it so personal. You sort of like detach a little. So it's, it is, it's such a contradiction. You really have to go there vulnerably to get the story out. But then you also you can't you can't take all of that rejection in or you'll just stop altogether. So that's I mean, that's a great way to think about it. Like you were saying, redirection. Exactly. And I think there's a sense of when you're creating, it's very much for you. And it, it's, it's very much the process. And there's a sense of artistry um, and you're revealing yourself on the page and you're stripping away those layers and you're putting your emotional truths into your story. And that's what makes for the most powerful stories. But then at least this is how I approach it. When you go on submission, it helps to, for me at least, to detach because now you've moved on from the artistry to the business side of things. Um, and there's different ways to work through it. I mean... I know some people say to keep working on that next project. That's great for others. I think it's great to find some other creative channel, um, just other things in life. Like it, it's funny. I just bought a new Pokemon switch game. I have Pokemon shield, you know, like that's <laughs> about being on submission. Um, but, but just finding those different outlets so that you're not always waiting on, on that news um, because being on submission, it, it, it can be, mentally challenging and i think it's great to have a system in place and it, it also helps to just uh to talk with your agent you know i prefer to receive my editor uh feedback as it comes in other people if you if if you'd prefer to detach if you can't handle that 
as consistently, then it helps to maybe say like, I'll get my feedback at the end of the, once a month or my feedback at the end of the submission round. Or not so, at all. <laughs> yeah. I so, recently requested. Yeah. I recently talked to my agent because I have, I have a, several books out on sub. And so I got all the feedback back at once. And that, I mean, that's just a rough day, right? So I read through all of the feedback, which, you know, if there's no author or sorry, if there's no offer, then feedback is all the feedback is a no. So it it's helpful if it, you know, can steer me in another direction or it has good, you know, um, critiques in there. But it it most of the time is like, oh, this was funny, but it, you know, it's not right for my list or whatever, like that kind of thing. And I was like, um, could we just I don't need feedback for a while. Okay. Like if there's if there's something that needs my attention and we need to like pull it and like revise, like that's cool. Like let me know. If there's an offer, also of course let me know. But for now, like can I just I just need like a break. Like please don't tell me anymore. Cause I just needed to tap out for a while, you know? Yeah, it can it can, some of the, the feedback is um very reassuring and then you get pieces of feedback that can be a little bit brutal. I had one that said this story is too cute and reductive for my taste. And Ooh, I had ouch. another that said Yeah, and and then I had another that said and then I had another that said um this story lacks the it factor. And you know what? That story sold. And 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 it's funny because in my my debut book, I had a, an editor on a phone call who is actually a friend say uh there's a there's a scene that absolutely won't work. It's totally unbelievable. It's not grounded. It needs to be removed. It's not even that funny. And then I had and when I accepted my it on. <laughs> and then I had an editor call with my acquiring editor, and the first thing she said was, "My favorite scene is this one. It's so over the top, outlandish. It has to stay no matter what." And I was like, "I knew I connected with the right editor. You know, it's really all so subjective." Oh, over yeah. the top outlandish, not having read either of the books, your books that have been acquired seems like part of your core brand <laughs> to me. <laughs> so keep that in. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it definitely is. And it's always about character. I've noticed my stories always tend to focus on characters breaking rules and just chaos erupting. Um, that, uh, yeah, that's just the stories I, I gravitate toward. Yeah, we can resonate with that. We have a lot of authors yeah. on who write very different, very different, like serious, much more serious and touching work than uh, either of us tend to write. So yeah, we're really and, resonating. But yeah. that's great too, because that work is needed as well. You know? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I just, I, I can't write that way. It's, it's difficult for me. Yeah. The one, the one um, nonfiction that I have out on sub is so it also so I, re I remember now what I was trying to say when Josh had accidentally muted me I was saying right the market does not is not up for another white guy bio another privileged white guy bio because so the main the main like protagonist in my story was also a, like an old white guy and so my agent and I were like okay what is the heart of this story like what are you actually trying to tell and it it actually didn't have anything to do with him or his life. It was just a specific story. And so I really had to like dive into what I like the thing that I thought was like so fascinating about it and tell it from that point of view. And ultimately yeah. he's not really a part of it, but I guess, I guess to come back around to what I was actually trying to say about nonfiction, it's hard for me to write because it can't always be 
like funny and silly. It had, you know, like it's it's nonfiction. And if it's about a person's life, I mean, you can't just you can't just go in there and make it, you know, hilarious, even if you want to, if it's not. So it's those are trickier for me to write. Definitely. Yeah, totally. Um, I've experienced that as well. And then I've even written stories where they're very serious and people are like, where's your humor? It's lacking. And what I'm learning is that there's also different ways to bring the humor into very serious stories. Sometimes the, the most serious the most serious stories will benefit from a, a small dose of humor. It's just figuring out your way in mm-hmm. and how to approach the humor as well. Um, bringing a little bit of, I guess, levity to the darkness. Do you feel like your acting informs your writing? Oh, a hundred percent. Because I mean, some of what you're saying in terms of um, impressions and finding your way in is a very actorish take. Really? Yeah. Um, definitely, because within with acting, so I studied for two years in the Meisner. So I've been doing it for over a decade now, and uh, it's all about being rooted in your emotional truths. And and finding the specificity in your in your character, and making uh, very specific, strong choices. Uh, but it's also about imagination and and play and learning not to judge the the character as well, and to telling uh, you could play the most evil, vile person, but in their mind, they're not the most evil, vile person. You know, no, every villain is the hero of their own story. So. I think that definitely plays into my work. A lot of my, my acting technique and what I've learned from that field, it, it, it's storytelling. So it's just a different form of storytelling and exercising different muscles in different ways, but ultimately they're both storytelling. So it definitely informs it. Um, yeah, I think it definitely, inf- it, it, as well, like actors also have to work on script analysis. So we, we learn why writers might have made the choices that they did and why does this story end at this point um, instead of it potentially could have ended it at a different point. Why? So we have to figure out why does it end here? What's the takeaway of this story? And that applies to picture books really well. Um, I like to think of picture books as short, uh, they're short films, you know, you have to accomplish so much with such little real estate and it has to be a very tight compact story uh and they're like they're like short films i envision them very cinematically um so yeah and then in terms of my approach to going on submission and my involvement in my career uh i take the acting field and i apply it to that as well because acting can be um if you think publishing is rough the the entertainment industry is 10 times worse and publishing is so much further ahead so I definitely take the tactics that I use to make it through the audition process and being on a set. And I apply those to, to going on submission. Because I think about, I think about the the acting submission process as a much better sort of like preparer or trainer or educator to get you ready for the publication process. I mean, if, if, if you took the acting audition process and applied that to publishing, it's like standing in front of every single editor with your manuscript in hand saying, like, is this, is this good? Yeah. And when you do every 
I mean, the more auditions you do, the better you get at it. And you, you walk into a room and you have to bear yourself emotionally. You might do, you might have to go into a room and impress an entire, like entire office with just a few words, like here's your change, you know, and there's 20 other actors auditioning for that part. Or you might have to go in and do the most complex, emotionally vulnerable, nuanced scene that just takes everything out of you. You're putting like, you're really just, you're bearing yourself emotionally and, and you have to do that consistently, you know? And what you realize is that you couldn't possibly, sometimes you do great work and there's just a reason why that project didn't work out for you. There was just someone that just might've looked more the part, even though the performance was better for you or, um, so, so what I was getting at is that just, you learn that not every, you couldn't possibly book every project. Not every project is going to be, uh, right for you. And you also realize as you've grown that you probably wouldn't have wanted to be in that project or have booked that project for different reasons. And I think it's similar with publishing in that, you can query a bunch of agents, but when you look back, you might realize that many of those agents weren't right for you and you landed with the agent that was right for you. Um, or you were just trying to land with someone to get with anyone, but maybe they're not the best person for picture books or the genre you write. Um, and it's the same with projects. You might go on submission with the project or query with the project and looking back, you realize that project was just meant to help you grow as a creator and to um, develop your craft. But that's not necessarily the project that you were meant to to publish. Not every project should should go into print form. There's many that are meant for you personally, and then they they go in a drawer. You know, I somehow have managed to curate, or TikTok has curated my. <laughs> my experience to the extent that I get a lot of um, pottery, pottery throwing TikToks come up. And a lot of it is like, I'm going to throw this pot, but what I'm going to put on TikTok is me punching the clay because it didn't work out. And it's, it's an, it's interesting to think about creativity that way. Cause we're not, we're not writing tangible things, but there are certain projects that help you gain some experience that you end up punching back down into clay and working into something something new. Yeah, I've got a bunch of manuscripts that I should think of more like clay than something submittable. Yeah. And the nice thing is that you could put it away and then bring it back. And maybe that idea comes to fruition in a different way within a different manuscript. Um, like, so it's, it's funny because I had a project um, that went to acquisitions, got re- passed upon because the entire team felt that the, the project wouldn't get past. So, so what's interesting about picture books, right, is that there's so many gatekeepers and it has to make it through your agent, make it to an editor and their acquisitions team. But then parents have to buy these books and, and guardians and educators and libraries. So, so many people to sell a picture book, right? So they're, they're really unique in that way. And then you have to hope that they'll want to reread these stories. Uh, and I had a project that they felt would be problematic for parents. And it was a, it was a funny concept. And I realized that after that project was passed on by my acquiring editor, it would actually work really well as the concept for the sequel to my manuscript that I already sold to Disney. 
And now I'm taking, I'm throwing out the whole manuscript, but I'm just pulling that one little seed that of a concept and applying it to something completely different. And it's going to live on in a different form. And I think that um, a lot of us can approach our stories that way. Um, like Tara Lazar says a lot to, to let your ideas percolate a bit. And, and maybe that idea by itself doesn't work, but when you layer it with something else, that works really well as a story. And I find that's often the first idea that will come to us necessarily isn't the most fresh idea for the market. But if you allow it to simmer a little bit on the back burner and then and you you layer it with other things and you work on building up that hook, um, you develop it into something stronger. That that make any sense? It's Absolutely. it's hard to explain the artistic process. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> for so many people. I I feel like we all because publishing takes forever, right? And so we all are just like starving for feedback, like immediate feedback. And so you get a you put a book out there and you want it to do well, like right away. You want that like immediate praise and feedback so you know it's you know, it's doing well and like, you know, the world is talking back to you in a in a sense. But I mean, the way you're describing it is so is so right on because it's just like anything else in writing and publishing. It takes a while. It takes as long as it takes, right, for this manuscript to become what it needs to become. So you can't sort of rush the ideas. I feel like I'm guilty of that a lot because I get an idea that I'm really excited about. I write it down. I polish it to the point that I feel like it's good, you know, it's good enough. And then I want to send it out because I want that. I want that feedback. I want that, you know, I want that acceptance, that praise, that, you know, like justification that I'm putting all this time into something that's worthy, right? But letting them sit for a while is actually really good advice, something I need to remind myself of a lot. Yeah. It's so tough too, right? Because publishing moves at a slower pace and especially because right now with the state of the world and editors are inundated with submissions and the whole publishing system, it just, it needs so much improvement um, that it can feel that things move at a slower pace. So you feel this need to try to be more prolific and productive and get things on submission and try to, to sell something so that you have things in the pipeline. It's, 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 it can be difficult. So I, I totally understand. I was just going to say that's something that my agent re reminds me of all the time. Like I'm always in a race against myself, but to mm -hmm. take my time, uh, especially cause you don't, that's why I'm, she also encourages me, um, and I would encourage other creators to test out other formats and see you've tried picture books, but do you maybe, um, is there something in graphic novel writing that you love or, or middle grade and then writing in those other formats? Um, it's a new challenge. You develop your skills, but also it can help working on a longer format, especially while you're on submission with something else. I like to think of that advice and we've talked about that in other conversations. I like to think that it's like, um, if I'm an agent of multiple genres of kid lit, uh, this is a way to delay my picture book authors, uh, and have them write something longer. <laughs> so they stop sending me so much stuff so quickly. It's a writing challenge, but it also a, it's a, it's a distraction. too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <sighs> Yeah, I, I totally, I totally get that. I mean, I'm sure that's, it's, it's funny. I always wonder that with how do, how do picture book authors stack up against like the novelist an agent represents? 
our or Justin's, not sure, brief outage here is the perfect breakpoint for this week's Chewy Reviewy Book Break, as we encourage you to write reviews for your favorite kidlet. Remember two things. One, check the Chewy Reviewy hashtag on Twitter for more info on this cookie pitch endeavor. And two, reviews are one of the most significant ways you can help boost your favorite author's work. Here are our two, coincidentally, author-illustrator reviews for the week. Mine's The Ugly Doodles by Valeria Wicker, a perfect reminder that we all start imperfectly. This book manages to include a number of innocently parlayed horror tropes in a very relatable portrayal of what it means to grapple with a first draft, a sketch, or an imperfect beginning. Raven's struggle is every creative's struggle and a great bit of reinforcement before both kids and grown-ups. This week, Brennan recommends The Very True Legend of the Mongolian Deathworms by Sandra Fay, which I agree is fantastic. If you're listening to this and need a mentor text for InfoFic, this is your book. It very cleverly pairs facts about the, biz- the bizarre Mongolian deathworm with a sweet story about a family that just wants to be accepted for who they are. It's a must read. In conclusion, review a book today. Now back to our conversation with Justin. Listen, on the way to the podcast, I spilled tea all over my desk. I felt <laughs> I was rushing to get to, to clean the desk right before, like two minutes before. I fall down the stairs. Oh no. <laughs> and I bit my um I bit my tongue to the point where it was bleeding really bad. So I've got like Oh my gosh. Like, I've got numbing gel on my tongue for this podcast. Wow, just <laughs> I'm the mess. Technology is just mirroring me right now. This is, but this is like this is all of a piece, though. It's like nothing's going to stand in the way of our success. Not, not at all. Yeah, right. equipment today. Yeah, not the severing of arteries in our face. Not falling downstairs. This podcast will go on. That's right. No, you were you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, uh, I was going to do a redirect because I want to go back and just talk about where where you came from and your mentor mentorship with sure. Tara and the impetus, not impetus, the inception, inception of PB Chat. Uh, so where where to begin? Um, <laughs> start with I start with Tara because I imagine you know if you if you engaged with uh, Tara in in a mentorship, that's that is a beginning. Yes. Okay. So actually, it goes. It will take you before Tara. Uh, I want to say around 2018, January of 2018, I secured a mentorship with the wonderful Pam Calvert. Uh, oh, look at that. Some leftover tea from my spill just found its <laughs> So I had a month mentorship with Pam Calvert, and that's where I really learned the craft of writing picture books because I had only been writing picture books for one month before I secured my mentorship. And wow. Yeah. I, I but I thought I was yeah. like, I full ego. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to do a one-off, just write one picture book, publish it and disappear. It's going to be in rhyme. It was really, really terrible. Every title was alliterative. Um, and she really, she helped deconstruct my manuscripts in a, a very nurturing way, helped me rebuild them back up. Ultimately, none of those are manuscripts that I wound up trying to to publish or would even want to query with. Um, I queried a few, I want to say like I queried 30 agents within the first three months of writing. I had a re- few requests. I had a few requests for some um, more materials and that didn't pan out. 
thankfully. And then I started PB Chat almost immediately. It was a Twitter community. We were chatting every week around a topic. Uh, I started the mentorship within one year of that. Uh, offering free picture book mentorships with some of the top creators in the picture book industry uh, to up and coming picture book creators. We offered like, I think we've had a hundred mentees to date and dozens, oh, wow. doz- yeah, dozens of agent signings, dozens of announced and unannounced picture book deals. And I did not query at all during this process. Uh, I decided I wanted to focus on the craft and connecting with the community. So I put it aside and Jennifer wound up being the first agent I queried. And then during this, the first year, Tara had said, you give so much to the community, I would like to give back. And I thought she was kidding at first, Um, but she was serious. And uh, I delayed, I want to say I delayed for almost two years um, because I just got so invested in PB chat and I wasn't producing much of my own. And then finally I decided I wanted to query. Uh, I believe right before I queried Jennifer, I had shown Tara maybe two manuscripts. And I think she was actually, uh, without sounding like I have an ego here, I think she was a little surprised because the manuscripts were further along than she expected. So it wound up just being a few passes through the manuscripts. We worked briefly on them um, and then I queried them. So it was a very brief mentorship, but it was very helpful in that um, it was validating that I was where I wanted to be or close to it in terms of craft and could proceed further because I'm very much a person who likes to, to plan um, and have everything in order before I make moves. So it was, so mentorships, I I like to say mentorships can really serve different purposes. Um, They're great for people that are newer in their career. And then they're great for people that are more advanced. It it depends on who the mentor is and what you're looking to get from the experience. And each of my mentorships was completely different. One, I was a brand new writer and that person helped me develop craft. And then the other one with Tara, it was, I was more experienced and it was just helping me, uh, find the confidence in my, my choices and, and my stories. How do you direct the mentor relationship? In, w- in what way? Uh, I was going to leave the open-ended, the question open-ended and see where you went with <laughs> no, I, I, how, how, What I mean by that is how do you discover <clears throat> what you can get out of a mentor relationship? The value proposition is broad. You gain experience, but to your exact point, point and experience, your two mentorships had completely different foci and you may not have known what you were going to get out of them when you engaged in them. It's a great question and it's difficult and it really varies. This is why every year on the PB chat uh, application form, I have this huge, it's like an interrogation list of questions. It is. I've filled that out. Yeah. It's intense, right? It is for good reason. And my goal is that people will come out of the experience, even if they don't have a mentor, having learned a lot about themselves, their craft, their stories, and what they want in their career, so that they have a little more vision and alignment and specificity, and they can work toward that. And I think that's how, um, that's also how I I help match mentors with mentees, uh, because I, I ask the mentors at the beginning of the mentorship. Are you looking for someone who is newer in their journey 
and needs to develop their craft, but is likely going to require much more time and energy from you to to get to that point? Are you looking for someone that's more, excuse me, more advanced and looking to get over some, I don't want to say final, but some little like speed bumps along the way toward getting representation and publication? Because we've had mentees that are brand new and we've had mentees that have won SCBWI awards and had representation in the past, but then parted ways. Uh, so there's a lot of discussion that goes on behind the scenes to, to match the mentor and the mentee. And then obviously looking at their, their body of work. I think a lot of it comes down to what the mentor thinks they can do similar to agents, what they think they can do for that mentee and how they can help them along on their journey. I've had plenty of mentors who are very taken by a mentee, but they're like, I don't have much to offer in the way of critique for that person's story. I've even had a mentor who said someone was so close toward uh, securing representation and publication. They were so advanced that they didn't feel they could help them. And I wound up shouting that person, I won't say their name, but I wound up shouting them out on Twitter and an agent contacted them personally. They signed with the agent and they went on to secure a book deal and I see the book in Barnes and Noble all the time now. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, and they, wow. We're in a PB chat mentee. There's a lot of reasons why someone might not be selected as a PB chat mentee. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of people that I, I wanted to see them get a, a mentorship and they didn't get a mentorship for various reasons. And then there's even been calls I've made where I thought someone um, might not be best suited for a certain mentor or the mentorship. And they've proven me wrong, which I'm happy. And they go on, they secure the mentorship and they go on to do wonderful things. And I just want to close this by saying that mentorships are great, but plenty of people um, in publishing and beyond don't have mentorships and go on to experience great success. So they're definitely not the only way toward publication. And not everyone needs a mentor. Sometimes you can just start a podcast and then every guest becomes your mentor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And then you get, you know, you get um, deals through that. Somebody is going to approach us one day, Josh, and just be like, give me all your stuff. You, we just, think you guys I'm are hilarious. Give us all your books. <laughs> promoing. Yeah, I'm going to just start promoing my own manuscripts here. But you, but you know what, yeah. Josh, in all seriousness, though, you're right. Like these types of things are great. I wonder if you hear my dog howling in the background. He thinks it's cool. Um, you, <laughs> you, you types of things like podcasts are a form of mentorship in a way. I like to say like I, I have a lot of captive mentors because there's so many people that are not my official mentors, but I've grown close to behind the scenes. And I'm, I mean, I've asked for permission to like pick their brains and go to them with my, my work. And I consider them my, my unofficial mentors. Um uh, yeah, like I'll, I'll throw out two people who are wonderful in this way uh, that people should follow. Elisa Boxer. I learned so much from her for nonfiction. I remember one day I had this for the, the one I had a two book deal. I just had a random idea for a picture book. And I, I went to her. I was like, I don't write bios, though. And she encouraged me and she guided me through the whole process. And I wound up writing three bios. And then Jen Harney, the illustrator, I find is like, I might not be an illustrator, but she's like an illustrator mentor to me. And she helped me through so many versions of my stories. And those were the two stories that ultimately sold. And I learned so much by 
listening to an illustrator, which I would tell so many picture book creators out there to befriend illustrators because they they bring such a unique experience and perspective to creating the picture book because it is largely it's a visual medium um, and there's so much to be learned from them, public whether they're published or not. So are you so you're not an illustrator? I mean, I know you're not an author illustrator, but do you illustrate on the side or like do you do you sort of like illustrate out your books just to see for like pagination or how do you what's that process like i do paginate my books um and i know you shouldn't go on submission with a paginated book i do paginate my projects um because i think visually and i do have a little bit of an art background the plan is for me to illustrate eventually uh first i've got to knock out a middle grade i promised my agent a little grade (laughs) so she'll get that in 10 years um (laughs) I I would would love to to illustrate, but there's such a learning curve there. Um, There's there's such a learning curve, just how to tell a story visually to get that movement over 32 or 48 or even more pages. Um, Mm. And then how to work with an art director and, and, and make those choices and how to how to adjust and pivot with the illustration work and then to work digitally. So I don't want to belittle anything in terms of the illustration say, oh yeah, I can just learn how to illustrate. I'm going to do it one day. Um, I, my goal is to take, take more classes and consistently work at it. And then maybe one day um, illustrate one of my own projects, but something that's much more simple. <laughs> You're being very consistent with yourself and it's like, like do the, do the prep, do the work yeah. and then, mm-hmm. then show up when you're ready. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to say that you only get one chance, right? But first impressions are so important. And and I always want to leave with my best foot and put my best work out there. So I'd rather develop my craft um, in the background and then just one day pop up and say like, hey, look what I've worked on and have something that's more polished. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that diversity of work. I'm looking forward to seeing a Justin middle grade come out, but then also... Once you're done with that, what illustration looks like for you, you're, 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 uh, multi-talented and taking it all on. Thank you. Yeah. I, and you know, it's to, I was having this talk with, uh, an illustrator. Um, I like to even think of it not as being multi-talented so much as just skilled, because I like to think that so many people can develop the skills and obviously Mm. there's different, um, some people are able to do that more than others because privilege plays, plays a part into it. You know, um, I, I still live at home, so I have that, that luxury. Um, but I can, I can acquire the, I can, I can work at these different skills. I don't want to say that I'm, I'm talented in illustration or anything like that, but that you can learn these skills and pick them up. It's, it's acting as a skill. I think so many people, not to get into semantics here, but so many people like with acting, it's a difficult field because so many people think they can just race into it and it's glamorous and anyone can be on camera. And really there's so much technique and training that goes into it. Um, and I, and I like to think of other forms of storytelling as, as the same thing. Picture books are a skill that can be developed, uh, pitches like so many people are like i'm not good at pitching and i tell them it's it's no one's born being good at 
pitching. You know, it's not like some innate talent. It's a skill that you can consistently work at to develop. And you're going to use pitching in so many different ways throughout your career. So I like I like to think of it that way. I'm just trying to develop different skill sets. I know that's a, a long winded story there. No, no, but it's a, I mean it's a good and again consistent way to think about it is approach these things responsibly. Everybody jumps into these new opportunities because we all get really excited about it. But to, mm-hmm. but keep keep that realistic perspective in mind that look you you got to try this out and you got to build some chops before you really go out there. Yeah, and, and because we owe it to children to to provide them with a great reading experience, right? And, and to, to better publishing and to better, to put out our best work. Um, and I don't want to ever just put out books where I feel like I'm making a sale and I've got something on a shelf for a little bit and then it's going to disappear. I never want to do that. So I always think, and I, and I encourage creators to think about this, like not every project has to be the, the project of your heart, right? Sometimes we do just need to make a sale to, to make a living However, I do think it's sometimes great to think about what am I contributing, right, to to the picture book landscape and to storytelling in in general. Um, and I try to always think of like, is this story what makes this story special, and why is it needed in the market? And that's how I, I approach my work. Like, I try to even craft pitches for my stories as I go, and think, would this be anything special like if it was being pitched in a, a twitter contest right and there's several thousand pitches is this going to stand out in any way is there anything about it that makes it special why would a child want to read it why are the adults and their li- adults in their life going to want to read it you know that's a great way to go about it yeah yeah i mean everything uh, everything about you seems very thoughtful and methodical and like you put a lot of energy into making sure that you're prepared and ready which I mean, your hard work has obviously paid off. I mean, you're doing, you know, well with these deals and you've got time now with because you've wrapped up PB chat, which um I my impression was you didn't have time right to devote to your actual writing because PB chat was becoming yep. so time consuming. Yeah. 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 It takes a lot of it took a lot of energy and that's why I've had to put the Twitter chats on hold and indefinitely. And even the mentorship mm-hmm. program, I'm thinking of how to rework that because um, we're, 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 I'm now looking to shake it up a little bit. But yeah, it, it definitely takes a time. And I think like anything in, in life and, and creating in general, it, it's finding that that balance. Well, so Justin, I know we started a little bit late and we're edging towards an hour already. So I don't want to take any more of your time, especially if you've got more tea that you have to attend to. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. Go all good. Well, I just wanted to to ask you if there was anything else that you wanted our listeners to hear, or if there's something that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about. <sighs> um. Oh my gosh, there's so much. I could talk about picture books all day and finish. <laughs> uh, the only thing I could think of, and maybe, I don't know if you, the only thing I would think of that maybe we haven't covered is just the, I don't know how specific you get, you get into in, in the publishing relationships, but just the, the author-agent relationship, maybe is something 
I don't know. Is that something you tend to cover, not cover? It's always something sure. I'm fascinated by. At great yeah, length, we'd love to talk about cover. all of it. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a number of agents on, and we like to joke that, you know, especially for Brenna's agent, Dan Kramer, we're having um, his entire client stable on the podcast at some point. <laughs> um, and so it's a really, it's an interesting thing to investigate um, that you don't have a lot of control over early in the process because you don't know what your relationship's going to turn out to be. You don't know the type of agent necessarily unless they're, you know, kind of a, a prominent-ish figure like Jennifer is. You don't know what that relationship's going to turn into. Um, so it becomes an evolving, not a mentorship, a an evolving partnership. Definitely. And I think that, I think it varies on who the agent is and who the creator is and what they're looking for in their relationship. Very similar to a mentorship in that way, even though they're also very different. And that's why it helps to do your research, right? And to ask all those questions during your call. I have a document somewhere online. There's a Google Doc I prepared with a list of questions to ask the, the agent during the call. And a lot of it will come up through natural dialogue and to see if you vibe personally and if they seem invested in your work and their overall vision for your career and how they work as an agent and doing your due diligence research in Query Tracker and um, Google and SCBWI and blogs and podcasts and YouTube and, and, and all of those uh, resources as well. Um, because at the end of the day, you want someone that's fully invested in you as well. And you know, there's different things that an agent can offer and not every agent is going to offer the same thing. I'm lucky in that Jennifer uh, is very responsive. She's super transparent and she's very much a cheerleader as well. And she's passionate, super passionate as I'm sure you've seen. Like, I wonder if she ever sleeps, you know, like I can message her <laughs> PM and get an automatic response, but then she's up at 5 a.m. my time. So I'm not sure when she really sleeps. And she is just like rapid fire fast. It's funny. I'll tell a, a little story is that I had texted her one time and I don't think she knows this. So this is embarrassing, but I had texted her one time. <laughs> question. And I think within 30 seconds, she had, um, she had said, do you have time for a call? And before I even responded, she was already calling my phone. <laughs> I, had, I don't care if you have time, make time. But, but, I, had, yeah, right. but I had texted her from the shower. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so I had water. I trip over the shower. So like I'm on the rug on the floor of my bathroom and just throw a towel around like run to my bathroom to take the phone call with Jennifer. Like she truly is very fast and, and I'm not kidding when I say very responsive. <laughs> I love that story. I also so yeah, this this speaks to this speaks to what you said earlier though about how she had told you at one point she's like, why haven't you queried this? Go out and query it and let me know when you have an offer and then come back to me. Like, let's, you know, like see what else is out there and then come back to me. Like, make sure this is like what you're, you know, what you're looking for. Yep, definitely. Um, because she gets swamped at submissions. So if she's offering, I mean, she really, truly is passionate about you and your work and she's a fan of you because she often um, 
it seems like she's a fan of the people. Like if, if it's a no, she really does mean a not, it's a not yet because you can query her again. And she says like, the story might not be there, but I'm a fan of your work and there's a chance I could sign you in the future. Um, and she truly is invested in all of her clients. She's very accessible to all of them and super transparent and kind. Oh, and the other thing I was going to say that she's excellent at, and I know this is something I personally was looking for with an agent is, um, she really does for lack of a better, like, I guess expression. She, she really does kill everyone with kindness. She never talks badly about anyone. Like if I ever vent to Jennifer, she never makes me feel this way, but I feel this way. I feel bad because she's just truly kind and supportive of everyone. Um, and will never badmouth anyone. Like, like I, and I guess that's what part of her, why she is so successful as well. Um, she, she remains open to people on Twitter. She answers every question. I tell people that like, everyone's like, Oh, she's so great on social media. And I, and I really always say like, well, behind the scenes, she's even better, you know, because she, she like, she, she really is that person in real life. And that's what, that's what my interactions with her are like. So it's always, yeah, yeah it's always fun. Yeah. Tracks with our experience with her as well. As yeah, you know. I was going to say, yeah, really authentic, very sincere. Like you don't get the sense that she's any different with anyone else than she is with you. She's, yeah, she's very kind, very thoughtful, very enthusiastic about her clients and her books. Yeah. Yeah. And your agent is the same, Dan. He participates in TV chat. I see he does giveaways on Twitter. He answers questions. We we yeah. speak positively about Dan constantly. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. We'll spend a yeah, little bit more time a, on Jennifer. <laughs> I'm a, yeah, right. I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'm a big Dan fan. When we first had our our talk, actually, it was not a it was not the call. It was I had won a critique and then a Zoom follow up on Twitter. So we were having the Zoom follow up, and we were just you know talking through the manuscript. And then at the end, he was like, "Well, if you revise this, you know, and want to send it back to me." you know, that's cool. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, that sounds good. And I got off the call and I was like, oh my God, I think it was an R&R. Like I like lost my mind. I was like, you said I could send it back. So I like, you know, spent like two solid weeks, like getting it critiqued by everybody. And I wrote like a thousand versions and I finally sent it back. And then I waited for like months and months and months and just figured like, you know, he forgot or he was just being nice. That's what, that was the, that's the thing that I thought it was. I was like, oh, Dan's so nice. Like he was just, he was just being nice. He didn't really mean, you know, he was going to like, you know, look at it for me again or give me a, give me feedback or whatever. But anyways, then he, then he offered rep and that was, yeah, that was a no brainer because the actual call was not the call because like you said, you know, a lot of that stuff comes up in natural dialogue. So, I mean, I may have had that I don't think there are any questions that I would have asked if I knew it was the call and that I didn't ask because we were just chit-chatting about like, oh, how do you work with your clients? And, oh, that's a good idea. And then what do you think about this? So like ultimately it was, you know, working on a manuscript together and how that was going to look. That and the fact that I also like to write funny, quirky stuff and Dan thought I was funny. So like that is a prerequisite that if, if, if you can, if you think I'm funny, like we'll be friends, we could be agent, uh, author, partnership, like whatever. If you think I'm funny, like that's the end for me. So <laughs> yeah, and you know, that was an easy one. It's, it's funny. Um, you bring up something interesting in that, you know how you got the R&R and, and you weren't expecting that, but it's not an immediate offer. And that's, 
you play it cool, which was something similar to my agent. Right. When, when my agent didn't offer on the spot, I was like, oh, she wasn't really into me. I messed up the first call. Like naturally it was me that messed it up. Um, totally. And so I think it, it it's important to really celebrate those small wins, right? Because they're not so small, but if you always wait for that one big win, you never get it, right? It's hard to get those big wins. So you have to celebrate along the way, even if it's just going to get ice cream or like I did the other day, buying yourself a, a video game. Um, you really have to, you have to celebrate your yourself. Um, or, or I feel like you can become very bitter, you know? Uh, and it's, uh, it's the same with, with acting. Like you could do, you could do dozens of back-to-back -back auditions and not, get a part. And in that world, it's very much, if you don't win first place, then you're, you, you don't win any place at all. Like you're not in the show. There's no, so I could go from auditioning for the lead. I could go from, and this has happened to me, like the guest star in a pilot and I'm starring opposite, like a huge celebrity name. And I feel like I'm on top of the world. And then the next day I find out like, Oh, they decided to change the direction. They went with another actor. Um, and I won't be, not only am I not going to be like the guest star in that series, um, for multiple episodes, I'm not going to get to work in that series at all. Like, um, I didn't book the job, so I'm not even a small one liner in the show, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think what I yeah. picked up from that is I have to celebrate like, Hey, you got in for your first TV pilot. Like, Hey, you, you made a fan of that casting director, things like that. And you celebrate all those little small wins because you never get the vi big victory at once is how it seems. And I think mm. I'd love to see more people celebrate themselves in publishing as well. Like, Hey, did an editor give you personal feedback? Did you get an R and R? Um, did you go to acquisitions? They, they may result in those redirections, but you still, you, you have some kind of win coming from it. And, I, you know, I, I get jokey, jokey, jokey about talking to agents and I'm, you know, what was me, the unagented author, but I, the, the, I try and take exactly that perspective is, um, you know, I've queried, um, I've queried Jennifer before and got a pass. I've queried Dan, Dan and I had, you know, good interaction about uh, the manuscript that I had, um, that I had submitted to him and every one of those. I know I can say this to you, Justin, because you're a video game person. Every one of those experiences is an experience point, you know, leveling up your understanding of the way that you walk through the publishing world and the way that you interact with it. And it's all it's all good. Um, it allows me to continue to think as an unagented author that I keep the title of author because I have written these things and I am continuing to gain experience over time that helps. So exactly. And I think there's something in viewing yourself and approaching it as I am an author that aligns you with what your goals are, you know, uh, viewing yourself that way. Like it's not in my mind, it was never of, will I get published? It's just, when am I going to get published? And I think that many people, if they just, if they view it that way, right it's kind of like that law of attraction. It will, it will manifest itself and just keep working your, your way there. Um, and Dan, I've seen how you interact with agents and you're great on Twitter, right? Like there's no desperation. It's genuine interactions. And when you get to that point where um, with the right project and, and it speaks to that, that right agent, 
you're going to hit it off, right? You've already been developing the relationships and, and you're learning the whole mm-hmm. publishing industry. Um, I'm glad that desperation doesn't come through. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad look. <laughs> but, and it is so hard not to come across as desperate when you want something so bad. And it's, it's really tricky. I went for, I think, six or seven years before I got my first agent in the um the acting world and it wound up coming through a referral and we we parted ways and there was always a level of desperation that came through and and you always hear like well just throw it away forget about it and then things will come together but it can be hard getting to that place and letting go of the desperation it's i i it's tricky it is yeah, it is. Yeah, it and is. I've talked about this in in various capacities. You, you've you've got the careers that you're balancing the the acting and the writing. Um, I used to be a photographer. Um, I in my early twenties, um, there was a desperation and an urgency that I felt in uh, in, in going for it. And, uh, it ultimately didn't, it, it was a good experience, you know, to back to the notion of uh, every experience is a positive one. It's all experience points. It was good. Um, but those, those experiences with achieving my dream early and realizing that it wasn't necessarily what I wanted it to be has tempered a lot of that, you know, to being consistent with the way that you present yourself and being ready for it taking the perspective on my writing and saying, look, there's no, there's no, there's no rush. Yes. Of course we all want to have books on shelves, mm-hmm. but get it right. Like don't just don't rush through it so that you can have that experience. Yeah. The, the whole yeah. thing is Mm-mm. positive experience. Yeah. And it's funny because just take, I want to comment on one, like ask you a question on one thing you said, but just when you say get it right, it's interesting because I also think so many agents, if they see promise, right. In, in a body of work, they will help you get it to the point where it's sub ready. I think so many, I think working at the line level is helpful because if you can get something down from big picture to line level and you're just really finessing the punctuation, then often you're at that point where just submitted already. However, I would also encourage people to, when they think like, oh, I got it right. The language is right. But how is your concept as a whole holding up? Do you have a really fresh concept. And often I'll hear that's a reason for passes in the industry is the concept isn't strong or fresh enough. Um, But what I wanted to ask you was, how do you think your experience with photography, if at all, has played into your approach to picture books? You turned my own question back on me. I did, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, um, I see the world... uh, I don't usually get asked questions. It's, thro- it's throwing me. It's, 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 something. Yeah, right. This, this yeah, is right. why I started this thing, so I didn't have to answer questions. No, um, I see the world visually. Um, and a lot of my experience as a photographer is looking literally through a lens at the world and seeing what about a certain situation is uh, is the most interesting or noteworthy. And I'm, I'm, I'm a quirky, funny, jokey, non-serious person. And so a lot of that experience, the visual experience that I had with photography, is placed on the world and looking for small moments that you can extrapolate into what becomes a bigger and more attractive picture. 
There's also something to be said for having, and and this isn't unique to photography, but you know, I, I went to journalism school and I, I write for my day job in Josh, you froze. There is there's something to be said of what we were talking about earlier with uh, pottery. Uh oh, you froze for a second. I know it was only one time. It's not that bad. Right, Usually, normally, norm- like all the time. A lot to edit out. Uh, okay. I don't remember where I dropped out, but we'll, we'll just keep in. We'll keep in the mess because it's the real deal. Yeah. Um, I write for my day job. I write in a in a corporate setting, short form <laughs> content. Are you kidding? We lost you. We lost you. Are you, you kidding me? This is my computer <laughs> telling me I've got a time limit. Okay. I, I know. I'm going to start say. this one more time, and we're gonna we're gonna stick with it. Um, okay. Uh, I, I write for a corporate in a in a corporate setting, short form content for executives, and a lot of it is in the context of of uh, as with the photography for people that don't um, that do not uh, or are not photographers are not creative people, and so the the insight or the experience that I have here uh, with that is is a set it and forget it mentality. Um, those those experiences that I've garnered in at at work. And in the photography thing, have taught me not to take it personally, which is a really important skill uh, mm. to have in the publishing industry. It's not about you; it's about your creativity. But the decision making is always broader than you understand. The picture is always bigger than what's happening within the frame that you're experiencing. Definitely. What yeah, What did totally. you say? What did you say that you do right now? You write for corporations or yeah. Yeah. So my, my day job uh, that I'm skipping out on on this Friday morning is as it's a communications manager. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My job or the fact that I'm skipping out on it right now? No, the job is bizarre with the farm, <laughs> the farm machines that you're always sending me pictures of. And the, he's like, look at my day today. Look at these pictures. I'm like, where are yeah, you? Right. Somewhere in I'm Iowa. A communi- yeah. Communications manager for, uh, for a big uh, ag tech company. You can, I'm not going to hide it, but I won't shout it out on here. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, I communicate for farming executives. I work specifically for the division that does farming software and digital farming, um, for farmers across the world. It's fascinating to learn. And this is the other thing that's, that's really, um, it's been, uh, I don't write about food. I should because of all the experiences that I have, but it's been really informative um, taking the lens of, look, I'm a communications manager. I don't come from farming or agriculture at all, uh, but I have to talk to PhDs Just don't tell and farm. You know, right? Uh, start again. Another take. <laughs> um, I don't come from, I don't come from agriculture. I don't come from science, but I have to talk to scientists and farmers and learn what they do and extrapolate stories out of that. So again, it's, it's looking at the world and finding the little moments that you can pull into something that's presentable uh, using generally understandable language. Cause there's always lots of audiences that we need to reach um, with anything that we put out. Wow. That actually relates surprisingly well to picture books. And it's interesting because I won't say the name here, but I know someone else that writes for companies related to agriculture, agriculture and farming, which is... Oh, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And I know Pat Zietlow Miller do, used to do copy, I believe, as well for mm-hmm. her job. And she had yeah. very concise writing. So there's something there. Josh, have you submitted a farming story to Jennifer March Soloway? Because I remember she said in the past she wanted a farming story. 
Oh, dude, no. you got to submit to her and to Feeding yeah. Minds. Yes. Yeah. So I got I got interest from Feeding Minds after we uh, aired the episode with Jennifer Concepcion, who's got a book that's coming out from Feeding Minds. Oh, nice. All right. Okay. So we're building a picture of I know, the way you've got to do it. He's got an idea, too. He just has to put it down. It's a good idea. It's a good concept. Um, okay. Yeah, before gonna, Josh freezes this out. Any, this out. <laughs> before Josh freezes again, though, Justin, thank you so, so much for coming on. Is there, Do you want to tell our audience um, where to pre-order your books or where to find you or what's coming next? Uh, so I don't think there's pr any pre-order availability yet. I don't debut till okay. 2024. Uh, but oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle's at Justin R. Cologne. So J-U-S-T-I-N-R-C-O-L-O-N. Uh, and then my website's justinclonebooks.com, which has to be updated very soon. What else am I missing? Uh, I run the Kidlet Hive. So on my Twitter account, I'll post in the coming months more webinars, workshops, and classes. Uh geared at uh, picture book creators, uh, upcoming authors and illustrators. Um, but also for graphic novels, middle grade will be offering various uh, events through that as well. And let's see what else. Um, I think that's really it mostly. Yeah. Where I mean, we that's see you a lot. on TV or Netflix. That's a lot. Very cool. Uh, oh yeah, right? <laughs> in a while. I have a, we could cut this part out, I'm sure. But uh, I have a little sad story where I was doing so great and I was at the – like. I was doing my best. I had like a 50% callback ratio and I was finally ready to move up in the industry. And my agent and I um, didn't see eye to eye on my career. And I wound up getting dropped Christmas week of the pandemic. Oh, come oh, on. Man. Ouch. By the assistant. Uh, oh, I'm so, so sorry. I've been through agents. I know the agenting experience. Um, this is Jennifer is my best agenting experience. I wish all agents were that way. Um, but uh, yeah, so I have not worked in quite a while, but I did Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I did Gotham, Limitless, Sneaky oh, Pete. Oh, fun. Yeah. I think the first Wives Club was like my last one I, that I ever did. It was right before the pandemic. It was the October before I had done uh, a scene, very small, like it was a one-liner with Jill Scott. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that next year I can return to the industry once this pandemic thing is over because we're not, we're not back in uh, casting offices yet. Mm. Uh, so I'm not represented for film and TV, only commercials and voiceovers. Um, so uh, I hope that eventually they'll get back in offices and I'll be able to reconnect with an agent and get back to auditioning and on set. But yeah, yeah sure. it, it's been a while, but picture books just like, popped in at the the perfect time and they've like captured a piece of my heart so i love doing it and it's it's the timing has worked out well obviously uh you've given a lot back to the community yeah. so yeah. no no end of things keeping you busy yeah right not at all <laughs> um, but but i i love it like the the, the kidlit community is it's one of my favorite places to 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 be i know as many publishing can be stressful stressful but um, I don't know. There's something about it for me where there's just such a contagious energy that sure, sometimes like PB chat can be a little bit of an energy suck, but, but overall I find that it gives me more energy than it takes away. Yeah. 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 This has been, it's True. been fun. And I know I could talk picture books all day and Josh has to go work on farming 
stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go hang out with my with my five year old. Yeah, but thank you so much for coming thank on. You. We really enjoyed it. This was great. I, I appreciate it. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind their cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show, renegenerate.com, and joshmoncourts.com. See you next verse. Bye.